Well, good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 5 as we continue our study through the book of Genesis. As a reminder, there are the Genesis scripture journals still on the Connect Center, and uh, there's a few of those left. If you'd like to get one of those as you're joining us in our study, it's got the full copy of the text of Genesis and plus a note page opposite, so you can take notes along with it. But we're in Genesis 5 today, and we'll be looking at the entire chapter. And uh, there's a lot of interesting intrigue with this chapter. So let's take a look. Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 900 years, he fathered Canaan. Enosh lived after he fathered Canaan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Canaan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. And Canaan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Yered, and Mehalalel lived after he fathered Yered 830 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mehalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Yered lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Yered were 962 years, and he died. And when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days Enoch were 365, 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. And when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. And Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth, or Japheth. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. One of the things we want to focus on today is, if you notice, 
most of these guys just died, but Enoch was different. He walked with God. Over the years of my life, I was just reflecting this past week on men who have been in my life, who walked with God, who touched my heart, touched my life in amazing ways. I think of Sunday school teachers that I had when I was a kid, like Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith is long gone by now, but Mr. Smith, uh, he was a fossil back when I was a little kid, and he, he was teaching in the Sunday school for ever since I'd ever known of this guy, and he taught forever, it seemed. Or George Munstead. George Munstead was my junior high Sunday school teacher, and George was amazing. Every passage that we studied in in junior high Sunday school, it always got to John 3.16 and the sharing of the gospel, and you need to put your faith and trust in Christ. It was remarkable. Or one of my youth leaders, Jim Lewis. Jim Lewis, again, mind you, I wasn't always who I am today. I was kind of a punk uh, when I was a freshman in high school, and kind of like Nick. Um, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> sorry. And, but this is the kind of kid I was. So here's Jim Lewis. He's our, one of our youth sponsors, and he's, he wears glasses. And as a freshman in high school, I was this kid who would come up to, to Jim, and I'd, I'd do one of these. And I'd just nail his glasses, you know, streak his glasses. And Jim, you know, he just, you know, he'd he just keep talking to us, and, hey, Brad, it's great to see you. And you know, he wouldn't get mad or anything. He didn't try to get us back. He just loved on us. That made a huge difference. Just a, another guy walking with the Lord. Or how about this guy? I put him up on the screen here. Lindy Arnold, uh, just a few years back. You guys don't know this guy, but he's the guy at our church. He taught second and third grade kids Sunday school for 50 years. And you're just, this is amazing. Just men of God, walking with God in such a way that their lives end up touching the hearts and lives of so many other children and young people. This is how it ought be for us. In terms of how we see each other, walking with God, touching each other's hearts and lives. But unfortunately, as we look around, all of us have disrupted our walk with God through our own active rebellion against him. But from the very beginning, God designed for us to walk with him under his blessing. And we need also to learn to faithfully walk with him in a manner that is worthy of his love and his power. And that's what we're going to focus on today. We've gone back to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And today we're talking about how to walk with God. I'd like to remind you the overall scheme from Genesis 3.15. Adam and Eve had sinned, and now God comes to Adam and Eve, and he speaks to the evil one and tells the evil one that from this woman, from Eve, a child is going to come, and this child is going to destroy you. Matter of fact, the text says he's going to crush your head. Going to smash your face. That's the Hebrew euphemism there, right? The evil one is going to be destroyed. You're going to bruise the seed a little bit. You're going to hurt him a little bit, but this seed, this child coming from the woman will, will destroy you. And we're, we've been following this now. 
If you're the evil one and you find out this is the game plan, you're thinking, well, I need to stop the seed, right? So Adam and Eve start having children, and they have Cain and Abel. And you can imagine the evil one thinking to himself, I know, if I can get one of them to follow me and have, the, have that one destroy the other child, then I win, right? So what happens? Genesis 4, as we've just studied a few weeks back, Cain kills Abel. But remember, the evil one doesn't know everything, right? It turns out the seed line did not go through Abel. It's going to go through Seth, as we've just read about just now in chapter 5. This is huge. This is so important. As a matter of fact, in, in chapter 5 here, at the very beginning, you'll notice what's known as a Toledoth statement. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Whenever you see that phrase, this is the generations, or these are the generations of something, in Genesis in particular, this becomes a hinge between other passages. As a matter of fact, the first one we saw is in chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And now here's the second one in Genesis. These are the generations here now uh, referring to Adam. And this closes off what we'll call the, the sin or the fall account, where dead center is this promise of a seed that's coming to destroy evil once and for all. And now we've got a little interlude before the introduction of the flood account, which in the centerpiece of the flood account is chapter 8 in Genesis, where it says, and God remembered Noah. Stay tuned for that. We'll start jumping into those passages, chapter 6, with the, with the flood account starting next week. But understand the structure of what we're reading and what we're studying here as things are unfolding. And now the sea line is going to go to Noah, ultimately, as we've seen all these people who beget other people, and ultimately it's going to go to Noah and, uh, and to his sons. So with that, I have three truths I want to share with you today about walking with God, but before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth and the power and the organization of your word to us. Lord, you've, you've not left us without witness here. Here we have the writings of Moses to help us understand truth and to such a degree that we might actually walk in it, especially in our study today as we look at this passage. So Lord, help us in our study. Open your truth to us. Touch our hearts. Move in us by the power of your spirit, we ask, that we might see truth. Lord, we long to hear from you more than anything today. Not from this speaker, but from you. Teach us, we pray. We ask this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth of three I want to share with you today. First of all, God designed us to walk with him under his blessing. This is all God has ever wanted to do. He's, all he's ever wanted to do is just bless us. And that's what it says here in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. There's that Toledoth statement. That's the Hebrew word, Toledoth, for generations. This is the birth record of Adam. And we kind of wonder, you know, why, why do we read all these names and why does it matter? It completely matters because we're following the seed line of the promised Mashiach, the, the promised Messiah, the Christos, Christ. And if we don't have the seed line, then we don't have anything to hang our hat on. And by the way, these Toledo statements that go throughout Genesis in terms of these are the generations, these are the generations, that shows up again in Matthew 1.1 where we're told this is 
the genealogy. These are the generations of Jesus, the Christ. So all those names that you kind of, like during your devotionals, you come to and all these names and you go, well, I'm going to skip over that and go to the next thing because that's too boring. I want to tell you, that's the most important part. That's essential to understand where our Savior comes from. So here we have this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. This is, of course, reflecting back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, how we're made in his image. Male and female, he creates them. And he blessed them and named them singularly man, which is interesting enough in itself, when they were created. In terms of this blessing, what did the blessing entail? Well, I'd like to remind you from the passages of of Genesis 1, 27 and 28, and Genesis chapter 2. There was a five-fold blessing that he had for us. We've been over this, but by way of reminder, let's take a look at it again. These are known as the creation ordinances. This is what God ordained for all of us, all of humanity. First of all, that we'd be fruitful and multiply. Secondly, that we'd subdue the earth, that we'd cultivate, that we'd work it. And understand this was awesome and good before the fall, that we'd rule, there'd be government and authority and it'd be rightly aligned and just under God. Again, this is before the fall again. And then of course in Genesis 2 at the very beginning, we see the ordination of Sabbath or rest. One day a week, God says, I want you to just enjoy me in my awesome creation here in this garden that I've made for you. And then of course at the end of Genesis 2, we have marriage where God ordains a life partnership with one man, one woman for all time to enjoy his creation together in great intimacy and fellowship. Again, to walk with God is to ultimately fellowship with God. And Adam and Eve had that firsthand experience of intimacy with God as they walked with God in the cool of the day, it says in Genesis 3.8. Again, prior to the fall. Who were they walking with, we wonder? Uh, is this a Christophany? Is this somehow a prefiguring of Christ walking with them in the cool of the day? I, I don't know. At least a theophany, they're walking with God in some capacity. And they walk together with great unity. There's no sin. I want you to think about this for a second. There was a moment where there was no sin, and it was awesome. What a blessing. Be fruitful and multiply. Have little people come up and squeeze your neck and call you mom and dad. There's nothing better than that. Work that's meaningful, purposeful government that's not corrupt. I mean, can you imagine, is there any world government you don't know that's not corrupt? They're all corrupt, right? It's a mess out there. One day a week, just rest. How many, how many of you are exhausted? Yeah, we're all tired, right? We all can use some rest, right? And then marriage. I mean, marriage is under such attack right now. But with what God ordained, it was beautiful and it was awesome. All he's ever wanted to do is bless us. <laughs> and we've messed it up. Instead of being fruitful and multiplying, we're destroying each other, right? For a lot of people, what they do in their work, they don't like their job. A lot of people just, they despise their careers. It's very frustrating. It's very difficult to make a living. And as I said, governments are all messed up and everybody's exhausted and marriages are being destroyed and now they're being redefined. This is what we're dealing with because of sin and rebellion. But all that God wanted from the very beginning is that we would walk with him under his blessing. 
But secondly here this morning, it's our sin that disrupts our walk with God. It's our rebellion. We've brought it on ourselves. We're the ones who messed all that up. First of all here, it's sin that brings separation. We saw this with Adam and Eve. Right when they sinned against God, they were not only separated from God because of the rebellion, but they're separated from each other. Remember, they're, they're hiding from each other with you know, fig leaves and covering up all the differences that they have. And they're hiding from God. Why? Because he's holy, 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 and they're no longer holy anymore. And they know it. That's what sin does. Sin is the great separator. It separates us from each other and from him. And this is why we desperately need a redeemer. This is why we need the promised seed, the child that would come from the woman who would destroy evil once and for all so we could finally walk with God rightly under his blessing. You mean in Christ, we can have access to these five blessings? Absolutely. If we'd walk with him and trust him. But not only does sin bring separation, but don't forget, sin brings death. Now, to be able to understand this thoroughly, I need some group participation today, a little congregational participation in this little application here. I'm going to read these passages with all these people who lived, and I'm going to ask you to join with me in a little phrase I want all of you to say with me together to make the point, and he died, okay? When we get to that, we're going to say, and he died. So here we go. When Adam had lived, verse 3, 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. By the way, you always wonder, well, who did Cain marry? Well, these other sons and daughters. This is prior to the Mosaic law where the family was able to intermarry at this time before the Mosaic law says you can't do that. Thus, here we go, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 900 years, he fathered Canaan. And Enosh lived after he fathered Canaan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mehalalel. And Kenan lived after he fathered Mehalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. And when Mehalalel lived, had lived 65 years, he fathered Urad. And Mehalalel lived after he fathered Urad 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mehalalel were 895 years, and he died. And when Urad had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. And Urad lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Urad were 962 years, and he died. You're doing great. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And by the way, Methuselah lived longer than anybody. 969, that is the record. Verse 28, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord had cursed. 
This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Congratulations, you did it. And after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Beloved, sin brings death. And they're all dying, aren't they? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Genesis 2.17, we were told, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God says to Adam and Eve, you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it, what? You shall surely die, he said. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Every funeral I've ever done, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's where we're going. In Romans 5:12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. In James 1:15. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Death. Beloved, our sin, your sin, my sin, our sin and rebellion disrupts our walk with God. It separates us from him. It separates us from each other. So where do we go with this? Thirdly, and lastly this morning, we need to desperately walk with God. You'll notice there's one fellow that we didn't focus on in our reading, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. He's the only one this is set up. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what that means. But he didn't die, apparently, because all the others did. And somehow, all of a sudden, he was not, because God took him. Somehow, Enoch doesn't die. And the only difference here is Enoch walked with God. And we ask, well, how is this even possible? How can anyone walk with God? Well, we do have other examples in Scripture, do we not? Noah himself in Genesis 6-9. These are the generations. There's a Toledo statement in 6-9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, it says. But what we know about Noah, after the whole flood account, Noah really messed things up and ended up in big trouble, didn't he? Abraham, Genesis 17, 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, God says of him. And so God encouraged Abraham to walk with him, but he struggled throughout his life. He had a little problem with integrity, you'll recall. So how is it that we can possibly even remotely walk with God? Well, Scripture gives us indications on how we can walk with God in a real, relevant way. First of all here, 
by walking by faith in Christ. That's how we walk with God. That's where it starts. You'll recall in Hebrews 11, there's a discussion about Enoch. In verse 5 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found. Why? Because God had taken him. That's exactly what just taking right from Genesis. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. He was pleasing to God. And here's this great verse in verse 6. Understand this. Don't miss this. Without faith, don't miss this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Uh, I want you to think about this for a second. To what degree have you demonstrated faith today already? Because to the degree that you have demonstrated faith today, you have been pleasing to him. But at any point where you have not demonstrated faith, you haven't been pleasing to him. Boy, what a challenge. Am Am I being pleasing to him? Are we, as a people, being pleasing to him and how we're walking by faith? Faith in what, we might ask? Faith in God about what? Faith in him about a coming promised redeemer, a seed from the woman, Genesis 3.15, who would come and destroy evil once and for all. You see, the Old Testament believers were all looking to the future as unto Christ, waiting for the Messiah to come. We now, in Christ, look back in the past on Christ, the same object of faith, whether Old Testamentally or new. Jesus is the answer. He's the one that we need more than all else. Secondly, not only do we need to walk by faith in Christ, but by walking by the Spirit of Christ. This is what Paul writes in Galatians 5.16. I just have the first verse here, but I want you to hear the whole passage. But in verse 16 here of Galatians 5, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Isn't that right? Isn't there this oppositional war going on within you even right now? There's this stuff I want to do, and then there's this stuff I know God wants me to do. Ah! And we fight internally. Why? Because these two viewpoints, the flesh and the spirit, are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, by the way, if you didn't know, the works of the flesh are evident. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, that's conflict, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Look, if you're in Christ, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have all the freedom in the world to be as loving and as kind and as gentle and as patient as you want to be. The question is, will we? Because any moment, you know, right now as I'm standing here and as you're sitting there, any moment we can decide to walk in the flesh or we can walk in the spirit. Well, what will it be? Well, this is how we walk by faith. This is how we walk with God, by faith, by walking in the Spirit. I love this little thought. Against such things, there is no law. No one's going to pull you over and give you a ticket for being way too patient. (laughs) Nobody's going to harass you for being way too kind. I hope that's what's flying out of you. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, Paul says. Walking by faith in Christ, walking by the Spirit of Christ. Thirdly here, by walking in the knowledge of Christ. This means I need to know some things about who he is to be able to walk with him rightly. Paul contrasts this for us in Ephesians 4 with those who do not walk with God in a knowledgeable way. Listen what he says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Man, that's my biggest fear is I don't want to end up ignorant before God about who he is and what he's done for me. They have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Oh, that we put on Christ. What will it take for us to actually put on Christ in a real relevant way in this world? Years ago, there was a a young man from Britain who uh, had a heart to be in the business world, but the same token, it seemed that God was working in him and calling him into ministry, and he found himself in conflict. But even as He was walking with Christ in the business world. He found himself in a banking situation. And the person I'm talking to you about is a guy by the name of Stuart Briscoe. There's a picture there. Stuart Briscoe has got this incredible English accent. He's great fun to listen to. By the way, he's in his uh, late 80s now. Uh, To me, he's like the Sean Connery of evangelicalism. He's really something else. Uh, But here's here's what, in his memoir, in Stuart's memoir, this is what he says about this situation when he was at the bank. Before he gave himself over to go preach. He says, Meanwhile, back at the bank, my relationship with my boss, the redoubtable Mr. Brownlow, took a dramatic and traumatic turn. One day he told me, If Mrs. Jones asks for me, tell her I'm out. I was surprised to hear he was going anywhere, so I said, Oh, are you going out? Of course not, he replied. Just tell her I'm out. Well, I can't do that if you're in, uh, I stammered. Well, you can if you know what's good for you, he replied aggressively. I had seen ominous signs of his temper a score of times before, and I knew what was coming. 
But you're asking me to lie for you, I countered, knowing full well I was getting in, in way over my head, but not knowing what else to do. He became very angry, and I heard a little voice, it turned out to be mine, saying, I, I think I've upset you, and, and I'm sorry, but if I lie for you, you'll know I'm a liar and will never be able to trust me again. But if I won't lie for you, you can assume I won't lie to you. This sounds much braver than it actually was. I was frankly terrified. And he stormed out of the office and disappeared for an hour while I ran the bank on my own. On his return, he said, I'm sorry, you're right. And if I have any say, you'll go to the top of this bank. I had no idea how to respond. What happened next was totally new work experience with a new boss. I, I lived in a different world, a world in which mutual respect, mutual enjoyment, and mutual help became normative. Banking was looking very promising, but preaching was my delight. Walking by the Spirit, even in a secular context, will you do and say the right thing in the midst of being provoked, asking to lie, if you will, for the company? And here's a man who was walking with God, and in the process, God drew him from the banking world into full-time Christian service. And you marvel at this. This guy understands, Stuart, the, the, where he ended up. Listen to this. Um, started preaching when he was 17 years old. 80 years, now he's over in his late 80s. Uh, he preached at Elmbrook Church for 30 years. He's penned 50 books, preached in over 100 countries, uh, the church at Elmbrook, uh, before he retired, was in the thousands. Just a man who endeavored to nobly, righteously walk with God. Touching hearts and lives. But fourthly here, how else can we walk with him? By walking in the love of Christ. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5.1. Therefore be imitators of God, all of you, as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If only we would be loving people. Again, in our world, I'm sure you're noticing it, there's a lot of angry, upset, frustrated people out there. Uh, just fill up next to somebody at the gas pump and you know who they are. And you have an opportunity to witness to them, an opportunity to share the love of Christ. Say, boy, these gas prices are tough, aren't they? But you know things could be worse. You can share. You can love on people right where they are. We have a Savior. We have someone we can look to. A lot of people in our world have no one to look to, no one to turn to whatsoever. Lastly here, how else can we walk with God? By walking in a manner worthy of Christ. Paul adds this in Colossians 1.10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Ah, we're back to that theme. Are we pleasing to him? The only way to do that is to walk by faith, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's the, this idea of doing that which is right. There's this idea of understanding and knowing who God is. Bearing fruit. Are you bearing fruit in your life? When you are rattled, does Christian character fly out of you? Does the fruit of the Spirit come flying out of you? The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness? Or a bunch of other junk flying out of you? 
Are you producing fruit in the lives of other people around you, in your children, with your spouse, with those you minister to at work? Are you bearing fruit, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in knowledge? Are you diving into God's word? Are you longing to learn more so that you can be equipped to be used by him in amazing ways? Walking in a manner that is pleasing to him, it says more and more in 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. It shouldn't just be a static thing. Well, I've arrived. I'm good now. No. Push yourself before him to walk with him all the more. I was reminded as I was thinking about this this last week, uh, about sharing this with you, about another guy I want to put up on the screen, Rob Baker. Rob Baker was a pastor at a church north of Grand Rapids up in Rockford there uh, for over 20 years. And he heard that there was a need down in, in Haiti for someone to oversee the Baptist Haiti Mission, which is a, it's a huge organization. And he volunteered to go for a year to help with his ministry. He's just, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to go serve there for a year. <laughs> you know, 13 years later, he was still there. He was there during the earthquakes when they were the only operating hospital in that region after the earthquakes hit. Samaritan's Purse set up shop there with you know, bringing diesel in to run the generators to keep the lights on at the hospital and bringing fresh water tanks with helicopters. People coming up the mountains out of the city that had been flattened to get help. And here's, the, here's the, what's really funny. Here's Rob Baker, who he's from North Carolina, so he's got this, this uh, you know, southern drawl kind of, you know, hick accent that he has. And he's a former Marine, this incredible guy, and now he's with these, these Haitians who are speaking Creole, and he doesn't speak Creole, so he learns Creole, which is kind of a hick French. And so it'd be really funny to listen to, to Rob greet people in the morning, bonjour, you know, as he's saying, you know, good morning. It's supposed to be bonjour, but he's like, bonjour. He's got this uh, southern thing going, and I'm, the, the Haitians are like, I'm not sure what he's talking about. But here he was, he was faithful. You know, there's a lot of things I've looked at people, I said, well, you know, I could do that. And I was watching Bob, I said, I, I can't do what that guy's doing. I can't do it. Incredible man, walking with God. Where are you? What? Scripture talks about men of whom the world is not worthy in Hebrews 11. And all it takes is one of us, whether it's a Sunday school teacher like Lindy, or a pastor of a church who left the banking industry to go follow his call, or just, just a former military guy who's now overseeing 600 churches and schools in Haiti with Rob Baker. It can happen to anybody. What's God calling you to do in your walk with him? As we turn to the Lord's table this morning, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, 8, he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, right? This is, how, this is how we're saved. We're saved by his raw grace, his sheer grace toward us 
through faith, through our believing. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Watch this. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. He's working in us, through us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Oh, that we'd walk in these things. That we'd find ourselves not only as individuals, but as a people. That we'd find ourselves pleasing to God, a fragrant aroma to him. Here at Oakwood Bible Church, we have an open communion table. By this is meant that all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are so very welcome to participate with us in the two simple elements, the bread and the cup. The bread which represents the broken body of Christ as he died for us. And the cup which represents his shed blood on our behalf in full payment of all of our sin and rebellion against him. If you have children with you, make sure they understand the gospel and have put their faith and trust in Christ. If they haven't made a profession of faith, I encourage you to let the elements pass them until such time as they have an understanding of what they're participating in. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, issues this admonition to all who consider partaking in the bread and the cup. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Well, this sounds pretty serious. Well, there's two possibilities here, two potential concerns. The first is potentially partaking in an unworthy manner. Perhaps you've professed Christ as your Savior in the past, but are currently living in outright sinful rebellion against him. If that's the case, I encourage you to examine your heart before God before partaking in something that you are holding in contempt right now with how you're living. But what would be better is for you to make things right with God even right now through confession, through repentance and commitment and then freely join us. Again, if you're not willing to make things right in this moment, then let the elements pass. The other possibility is perhaps you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. There again, I encourage you to let the elements pass. But even better this morning would be for you to Put your faith and trust in him. Invite Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, even right now in the, in the quietness of the moment we're going to have. Invite him to be your Savior and receive all the blessings that he has for you in Christ. And then celebrate with us as we remember all that he is to us. So let's uh, open up these communion packets and uh, make all the noise that they do. Remember, there's two cellophane wrappers. One's on the top for the wafer, and then another one below for the drink. We'll make all that noise at the same time here. So as we prepare to partake of the, the bread and the cup together, please hold both elements. We'll then thank the Lord for the bread and the cup separately in just a moment. But during this time of preparation, I encourage you to, to be in prayer, examining your own hearts before God seeking his forgiveness and deliverance, renewing your commitment to him and remembering with thanksgiving his sacrifice for you on the cross as he paid your penalty for all of your sins once and for all. So let's just take a moment of a quiet, uh, silent reflection 
as we consider these things. Would you all please pray aloud with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As Paul has written to the church at Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder John Ruza to pray for the bread which was broken for us. Father, thank you for sending your son down to this world to walk among us and to ultimately die for us. He was scourged, beaten, and ultimately hung on a cross as the satisfaction for our sins. He was the sinless, perfect sacrifice that you required so that we could be reconciled to you forever. We are grateful for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take and eat. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Ron Crowfoot to pray for the cup, which was poured out for us. Let's pray. Father, I continue to... Thank you, along with everyone, for this reminder, this ordinance that you gave us to remember in a special way, together as a church, the sacrifice that you made, your precious blood, your life poured out for us to fulfill the plan of salvation. Lord, thank you for moving in our lives, those that have trusted Christ as Savior. Thank you for reaching out to us and drawing us to yourself. Thank you for the sacrifice in our, and for the eternal life that is ours. Help us, Lord, in our walk with you. In Christ's name I pray. Please take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for this time that we've been able to gather together. But we thank you for the refreshment we receive, not only remembering who you are and what you've done for us by way of the cross and bringing redemption, salvation, reconciliation to us through Christ. But Lord, we thank you for the refreshment of your word as we've been challenged this morning to walk with you in love more and more. Walking in the spirit, walking by faith, 
walking in obedience. So Lord, help us to be all about what you've called us to do here, that we might be pleasing to you. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.